Are you looking for that next great read? Well, I've got you because I wrote it. Head on over to Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com and order yourself a copy of my book, I'd Rather Talk to Dead People, where I tell you the ins and the outs of my paranormal journey thus far. If you've watched the TV show Oddity Files on Amazon Prime or YouTube, this is the perfect companion piece to give you an inside look on what was going on inside my head during my most prominent investigations to date. Again, Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com. Just search I'd Rather Talk to Dead People by Kitsy Duncan. Thank you. Hey guys, hey. You're listening to Oddity Files, the podcast. I'm Kitsy Duncan, and Nick Floyd is not here. So, Nick and I have been traveling a whole lot over the past few weeks, and we haven't had a chance to get together and actually record a podcast. So, I decided that I was going to pull some old school cards. There was a time when Oddity Files had a lot of celebrity guest ghost stories, and I figured I'd pull some out of the vault and play them for you in case you missed them. If you didn't miss them, then enjoy them once again. First, we have your astrology forecast from our dear friend, Ms. Fortune on Moody. Hit it, Jess. Hey there, oddballs. It's Jess from Ms. Fortune on Moody here with your weekly energy forecast. With the exception of Mercury, we have a pretty nice week on tap, so let's jump in. Saturday the 25th brings a trine between Mars and Libra and Saturn in Aquarius. This is amazing energy for accomplishing something that needs a little extra TLC. It bestows the strength, ambition, and perseverance necessary for finishing even the most difficult tasks. Not only can you complete something that has heretofore required Herculean efforts on your part, but you can do so within whatever limitations have been placed upon you. Is there a time crunch? You'll have time to spare. Budget concerns? You'll come right in where you need to be. Perfectionist boss on the other side of the project? You'll have him eating out of your hand. Believe it or not, this transit is even good for your sex life. Mars and Saturn in soft aspect to each other signals divine masculine energy for everyone. It's great for loyalty, devotion, dedication, and stamina, both in and out of the bedroom. Wink, wink. Enjoy. The only snag this week is Mercury, who spins retrograde on Monday the 27th. For the majority of the next week, he'll be at a standstill around 25 degrees of Libra. This is known as the storm period, and it's categorically the worst time for all retrograde energy. Under normal circumstances, our trickster planet of communication covers two degrees of the zodiac per day. He's fast, but when he changes direction, he can spend up to six days on one degree, and boy do we feel that here on Earth. If things just seem wonky this week, you know why. And if you have anything on or near 25 degrees of Libra, things will probably be a little extra special shitty for you this week. 
practice the pause while Mercury backtracks through Libra. His energy reversals are meant to give us time to review, revise, and rethink projects that need to be tied up. They are not meant for forward progress on anything new. So if you're about to start something, you should probably make damn sure that you're ready for any potential fallout. You've been warned. Wednesday the 29th brings two trines, one between the Sun and Saturn and one between Venus and Neptune. Sun-Saturn enables heavy lifting. You may be shouldered with more responsibility on this day, but you'll handle it with ease. It can also bring recognition for prior accomplishments and maturity. Venus-Neptune is a romantic and relaxing influence that increases creativity. You may find that you're wanting to be of service on this day. At the very least, you'll be more accommodating than usual. Just keep yourself in check because Venus moves on to square Jupiter on Thursday the 30th. This is a fun and social energy, but it can make people a little too enthusiastic, if you know what I mean. You don't want to wake up in October and realize that you bit off more than you can chew. So use Saturn's sobering energy to dial it down wherever you need to. If you're interested in what the stars have to say for you, please check out my website at misfortuneonmoody.com. I offer many different types of astrology and astro tarot readings and am now conducting sound healing sessions for those of you in the Boston area. You can also help support my small business by checking out my shop where I sell handmade crystal jewelry, candles, and lots of other cool merch. For horoscopes, flash sales, and an intimate look at what a shit show my life is behind the scenes, come find me on social media at misfortune1111. Ciao for now. Jess, you're the absolute best with your good news, question mark. Anywho, I do have some paranormal in the news for you because I didn't want to let this one slide. This one actually showed up in the Oddity Files fan group over on Facebook, which you can find at flow.page slash oddity files. This comes to us from the Daily Mail. The headline is, new homeowner is shocked to find ragdoll boarded up in a wall cavity clutching a note saying she killed a family who lived there in 1960s. No, in the 1960s. So the story goes, a homeowner was shocked to discover a ragdoll holding a spine-chilling note inside a wall of his new property. Jonathan Lewis, 32, had picked up the keys to his new home in Walton, Liverpool. On Friday, when he decided to examine the void underneath the stairs that had been boarded up. The primary school teacher took to the wall with a hammer and soon discovered the ragdoll, dressed in a pinstripe dress and bonnet, clutching a sinister note inside the cavity. The note described how she had stabbed the original owners of the property in 1961 before going on to say, hope you sleep well. That's in hard quotes, by the way. But Mr. Lewis was told by the estate agent the kitchen was only done four or five years ago and said the note must have been placed by the previous owners around that time. It read, Dear Reader slash New Homeowner, Thank you for freeing me. My name is Emily. My original owners lived in the house in 1961. I didn't like them, so they had to go. All they did was sing and be merry. It was sickening. Stabbing was my choice of death for them. So I hope you have knives. Hope you sleep well. Mr. Lewis told the Liverpool Echo, I've just bought the house and I got the keys on Friday. I kind of knew there was this void underneath the stairs and that it had been plaster boarded up. He continued to say, there was a wire coming out where the previous owners 
had the fridge, but I didn't know where the wire was plugged into, so I knocked through a bit of the plasterboard to see what was there. I knocked through a hole about the size of my fist, shone a light in, and there was a doll just sitting there. (laughs) Mr. Lewis has now been urged by his friends to put the new property back on the market, but the teacher said he found the discovery hilarious. Same, Mr. Lewis, same. He said, some of my friends have told me to put my house back on the market and move out, but I think it's just a laugh. The teacher added, I'll be honest, I found the whole thing hilarious. I'd probably do the exact same thing. I fucking love this guy. The letter says 1961, but the estate agent said when she was showing me around the kitchen that it was only done four or five years ago. I think it must have been put there then because the paper doesn't look very old and looks relatively recent. So, yes, he is this Mr. Lewis is definitely one of us. And I appreciate this shit out of him, even more so the fact that he would have done it himself. So there you go, kids. There's your paranormal in the news. So let's head into a story that a good friend of mine told the podcast a few years back. This is from Bruce Campbell telling us about a very odd sighting he had from his home. So what are your thoughts on the paranormal? Um, I think it's silly for us to rule anything out. I'm seeing some stuff in my life that I can't explain. And when you see a couple of those things, you go, okay, maybe there's something else going on. Whether it's lost ones, loved ones, weird things that happen, things that can't be explained. I've felt time shift before. And that's not even being stoned. You know what I mean? Exactly. It felt real. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Well, two examples. Okay. One was not so much, it was a weird energy vibe thing. Okay. Um, and it's like a universe thing. Like I was in Los Angeles uh, trying to catch a flight out of L.A. at the end of the day, 5.30 p.m., and it was, I was doomed. I was late. There's traffic. I had to take a rental car back. It's not going to oh. happen. I'm, the math of it was, was not going to work. Wrong time, wrong place, wrong everything. So it was me against the world. And I thought, well, what if that's not working? What if that, that mode of, of perceiving the world is, doesn't seem like that's going to work? What if everyone is exactly where they were supposed to be right now? Right. Instead of, instead of thinking that everything is chaos, that you look around, you go, this looks like chaos. People are merging and trucks trying to cut over. I just reversed it. I went, no, I'm going to take the approach that I'm supposed to be right here, right now. I'm not late. Not late till I'm late. I like that. Yeah, and it was amazing. The, it was an instantaneous, the flow of the traffic never stopped once. It was slow, but it never stopped. Yeah. Got to the airport, you know, as I pull in, drop the car, the shuttle is just about to leave. I'm on it. Get to the thing, get to the gate. People are loading right on it, right on the plane. I didn't stop once. Oh, it was magical. Yeah, and yet it was a glimpse in my mind of what is the actual. And then we get fooled by physicalities. We get fooled by the physical world. I am a firm believer in that. Yeah, you know, and sometimes the metaphysical sort of determines the physical in a weird sort of way. Like you, 
see what you believe as much as you believe what you see. Exactly. I wouldn't even know how to say that, but that was very well said. Yeah. So, okay. Now, next actual incident was more, much more recently. Okay. This first thing was years ago, 10 years ago. But it was a great little glimpse into go, you go, wow, maybe things do work together. Maybe there is a universal intelligence that's kind of pulling some strings somewhere. That we're not just, you know, spinning in a ball of muck of DNA, you know. Exactly. So many ways to look at the universe. So anyway, I'm where I am now at home, Southern Oregon. And to set the scene of it, we're about 2,200 feet elevation, looking at the Siskiyou Mountains, which are about 7,000 feet. Oh, my. So it's pretty, nice mountain view. And the Siskiyous are one of the weird mountain ranges that runs east and west. The Rockies are north and south. The Appalachians are a little diagonal. But most stuff is north and south. This is one of the few mountain ranges that runs east and west. Okay. So looking dead south is my view. I just see a wall of mountains. And so I'm doing a phone interview, similar to like chatting to you. I'm pacing around up yeah. And we have a... French doors that open out to the view. And I'm talking to this person on the phone, blah, 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 blah. Uh, warbling light appears from over the other side of the mountains. A what? little bigger, it, it's a bigger light than a traditional jet. I, I see jets from New York and San Fran going over me all the time to Seattle. Okay. I know their routes, the angles, I know what they look like. You know, jets are very precise, they move at a certain speed, certain height. Normally, commercial traffic. Yeah, they have certain color lights. and They do, flashing yeah. red lights. It's always that. So this was a warbly thing that appeared directly above the mountains. It uh, looked like it was coming at me, but it didn't have the elevation, didn't have the altitude of a commercial flight. Oh, wow. Uh, we do get weird crafts. I mean, we do have, you know, schmoes just piloting their individual crafts over the mountains, just dicking around. You have drug runners. You do have weird guys and ultra lights are around here but so this thing popped up and it was a white light it wasn't uh the commercial red repetitive type of light and it would look like there was a little bit of a diffusion like it was a heat lamp was under it it's that wavy oh. a little bit of a wavy diffusion yeah so and it kind of seemed like it was moving but it seemed like it wasn't like it was coming at me so it was harder to tell how far away it was. So right. I started doing that thing, and I, I looked at it and go, God, I think I've seen that before. I used to, I wrote, uh, I've written a couple of books out here, and it's we're rural Oregon. There, it really is, there's no lights on the mountains. There's no, really no civilization. And right over me is the California border. So there's not much going on up here. Okay. So anyway, that's, that's the setting of that. It's about dusk. So while I'm looking at this light, talking to this person, going, that's a weird, warbly light. What is up with that? Behind me in the foyer of the house, there's two entrance lights, both okay. on separate switches, separate dimmers. And one of them goes, goes down to about half, like a brownout, goes down to about half, okay. goes back up. And then the other one goes down by about half, and then back up to full. Now, if the house was doing a brownout, the whole house would have done that. Everything at the same Everything time. Everything would have done it at the same time. Those two lights are not on the same control. Oh, wow. Individual controls. So 
they would have normally, if they were connected, would have both gone up and down together or whatever, you know. Right. Sometimes the right. electrical circuit get time together. In this case, they were operated completely separately, and I felt that there was a, some weird correlation between that thing and those lights acting weird. I turned back around, the light was gone. It was, I didn't no. see it go, I didn't see it take off or, you know, do some dramatic exit. It was just gone. And I said to myself, that thing was fucking with me. It was my yeah. first impression. That thing was like a finger going, let me just, what does this little light do? Oh, look at yeah. that. And then, yeah. oh, look at this other one. Oh, that's it. How cute these little lights that these people have. <laughs> yeah, and then exactly. when I turned around, I mean, I had eyeballed that thing. I was watching it for 30 seconds easily while I was on the phone. Yeah. So it, I think, knew that I was looking at it. And so I think it was like, it was just, I don't know, it was someone being, it felt like something was being curious. It was fucking with you, Bruce. Totally. That's what I'm thinking. Not, no, <laughs> not even in a malicious way. No, 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 no. It was playing with like, you, honestly. Hey, what's, what's going on? Take a look at this, you know, little little human. I don't know. It was weird. No other lights. No other lights in the whole house. And they, by the way, it's not like I have shitty wiring in this house. I just, you know, fixed this house when we redid all the wiring. So it right. ain't the wiring. And... Those lights have never done that before or since. And That's there's nobody insane. here. It was me in the house alone. There was very little alcohol involved, very little marijuana at that particular moment. <laughs> at that particular so moment. I, yeah. So, I mean, I can vouch for it. And it just gives you a certain feeling. You go, That's not normal. That's not normal. No, exactly. That, and then all of a sudden. It hasn't happened. It doesn't feeling, happen. And you're not feeling quite as alone as you were 30 seconds prior. No, but then, then you look around and you go, Okay, it's gone. Where would that warbly thing have gone? It would not. Yeah. It was not moving fast enough to have in the twenty seconds that I was going. What's with the lights that were behind me? Yeah. To turn back, it was not moving fast enough to have normally gone out of my view. Well, I have a big view of the mountain range. Where would it have gone? Exactly. That's what I can't figure out. And it was pronounced enough that I, it wasn't a reflection off of a window. I saw it appear up over the mountain, so I saw it move. And it was moving so, very slowly yeah, and warbly kind slow. of hanging out. Yeah. Almost like a helicopter type uh, approach. And of course, you're out there all by yourself, so nobody else would have spotted it. No, no. <laughs> it would have been interesting if uh, if my wife was home, you know, just yeah. you know, did you see the same thing. So, it was, you know, I love that shit personally. As long as I'm still here and I didn't get probed, you know, we're all good. <laughs> Exactly. They can come down and look around. Because my theory is, if you want to go dick around and not get sighted just from a physicality, when you fly in here, uh-huh. you fly over nothing. And we're, we're surrounded by National Forest and Bureau of Land Management land. There really isn't a concentrated, Medford, Oregon is a town of, you know, maybe 100,000, but you get 45 minutes out of that. You just see little dots of ranches. You know, you don't, yeah. there's no one here and Siskiyou's, you know, Wairika is the biggest thing south of us in California. North of us is Eugene, which is, each one is two hours north or south. So there's just... Oh, wow. So if I wanted to be a UFO to not get hassled, just That's even, where you'd go. even from a physicality, yeah, I'd go over the desert, I'd hang around over the desert, I'd hang around over the forest, and so you could do stuff that you wouldn't as immediately get spotted. I don't, I don't know. It's a hard thing. Because maybe in the cities, 
maybe UFOs can hang out more in cities because there's always something flying around. That's true. In a city, you, you know, you do like the burn notice thing. You're hidden in plain sight. Yeah. You're like a spy. Yeah. So, I don't know. I thought it was cool. Now, if it's a government plane, that's a little creepy. You yeah, know, I have seen sure. weird coastal. You see, I think defense, there's certain... Um, Coastal defense planes that really fly high and are large. I've seen but like. Would a, it mess with your light? Oh no! Not at no, all. No, 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 not even close. It's too. The precision of it is what uh, was got. It got. That's what got me. Yeah. It wasn't I, a random like click click of the of that would that would have been something because out the out the boonies here they turn they turn our power off all the time or guy hits a telephone pole with his car. We get knocked out. I have so that, the same situation, yeah, so I get it. We're first off, last on, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, those country people, they'll be fine. Yeah, exactly. They're right. used to it. They got stoves out there, yeah. yeah. So, but I, you know, so um, that's definitely an event that uh, occurred. Well, I appreciate you telling me that story. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So freaking cool. I love Bruce Campbell. Um, Next up, we have something from a dear friend of mine, Mr. Norman Reedus. When he was filming in Prague, he had an unexpected house guest where he was staying. I had a weird thing happen to me when I was in Prague doing Blade 2. Oh. And it was kind of spooky and and I got advice from the camera crew. It was, uh, and it kind of worked. Their advice worked. Oh, nice. Yeah. Okay, so, I, you know, I, the first couple of days, I stayed in a hotel when I was in Prague. We, we were there for six months. It was my first first time to Prague, and and uh, there's a real estate lady that was working with the production on getting me an apartment. Okay. So she finds an apartment. It's about, you know, the fourth day of shooting, and I was shooting late. So I had the keys, and the driver took me to the apartment, and... I get there and there's this old, old building and it's maybe like four in the morning when I get there okay. and, and it has, uh, and it's right on top of the Moldau, right on top of the river facing it. And I get into this building and there's this old, old elevator. There's like this sort of fenced in elevator in the middle of the building. And so I hit the buttons and it creeps up to the top floor and and I get there, and I, I can, and this was a crazy old building. It it had like huge, like five foot gargoyles around the patio. Oh. Yeah, overlooking it the river. It sounds very Norman. <laughs> it was cool as shit. I won't lie. Um, but it, uh, so you know, I finally get up there, and the way that the 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 room was set up, the apartment. There's another little apartment attached to these little stairs that go over to the left that also overlook the river. But the main part of the apartment, it's it's goes in a circle, oh. like kind of a square, actually. And the bedroom's to the far right. Uh, the kitchen is way ahead of me, blah, blah, blah. But you walk in this square, and, and at every corner of the square was these really intricate stained glass doors. Oh, wow. Yeah, metal and stained glass doors. And so I go in there, you know, really late at night, and I'm kind of looking around the apartment, and... There's no drafts or anything in this building, or at least okay. in this part of the apartment. No windows were open, anything. And I and I'm kind of sitting there, kind of checking it all out. And there's these, you know, big chairs, intricate sort of medieval chairs everywhere and stuff. Um, 
as I walk through the apartment, every corner of those squares where the glass doors are, they slam behind me as I'm walking. So I take about five steps, boom, the one right behind me and shatters. No, get out. Oh, it gets better. Then, <laughs> then I go to the second corner and I'm going around and there's the kitchen that side, boom, the door slams behind me. All four of those doors slammed shut behind me, right? Oh, my God. And I'm freaking out. And I just, I got into bed, this big bed, and the realtor's number was right next to the bed. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, it's like 5, 6 o'clock in the morning, and I'm sitting there with a blanket up over my nose, like, just with my eyes wide open, like, where the hell am I? And, and uh, I find, you know, I wake up the next morning, and, and uh, I call the number. The first thing I do before I even get out of bed, I reach over, I call the number, and I say, whose apartment was this? And she goes, she goes, oh, what happened? And she tells me that there's, you know, stories that happened in this apartment, and that the apartment belonged to a guy named Bertrand Smetana, and S-M-E-T-A-N-A. And Bertrand was like, he was like the Mozart of the Czech Republic, and he oh. used to play on a harpsichord, you know. Oh wow! Those, those ting tingy ting ting tingy ting pianos, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he and I looked him up, and he was like, he was like heavy metal on a harpsichord. It was oh, like shit. the most intense, like heavy music. And the story was that he would sit in his apartment, compose music, and look out over the Moldau over the river and there was a tower on the other side directly across from him and his wife was in that tower it was a hospital for syphilis patients and he would write music and look at the tower where his wife was where she died of syphilis and he would compose these crazy this crazy stuff so our dp on that movie uh Oh, he passed away, but he was like a really well-known DP. He um, he told me what I needed to do was I needed to put out a little glass of whiskey and acknowledge that it's his apartment and that he would eventually leave me alone. So what I did was I did that. I made a little offering, and then I started playing his music all the time in the apartment, and it went away. But it oh, was wow. it was the craziest night. Uh, and I could just feel something was in that apartment. It was just, it was heavy, whatever it yeah. was. Yeah. Yeah. The next week of shooting, it just kind of died down. But I, I not only played his music, I actually really, I liked it. I, like, I was getting into it. Yeah. It was really, it was cool. Um, but he kind of let me alone. I kind of made peace with it, I guess. But That's it was a great it was story. Crazy, right? You should look yeah. him up. Bertrand I will. Bertrand. Yeah. Totally. Well, I appreciate you telling us your creepy stories. Is is that like the most prominent one or like the only one you've ever had? Um, I, it's, I mean, I guess I've had like little things here and there, but yeah. uh, like when I was a kid, I used to uh, have dreams that I was uh, flying over the neighborhood, you know, and I was like at night and stuff and zip, you know, zipping in and out of telephone wires and stuff. And 
and I, I had before, like, you know, gone to a neighbor and was like, oh, I had this, I had this dream that you were sitting out there playing with your bike last night. And she was like, I was playing with my bike last night. And then I, you know, oh, so like little yeah. things like that when I was a kid. And my mom would tell me that, yeah, that was me like floating around in my, in my dream state and stuff like, like that. Like astral projection or whatever it's called, right? Yeah. 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 But I could like, you know, feel myself, I could feel the tension of like pulling up and pulling to the left. And, you know, I'd wake wow. up and I could feel it you know, in my neck, but, uh, yeah, little stuff like that, but maybe like a little thing here and there, but that's, that's definitely the, the, the biggest one. Oh, Norman, I miss your fucking face. Just so you know, next up, we have a story from the one, the only Mr. Robert England, where he tells a story about something that happened to a family member of his. You know what? If you listen to this one, just listen to it because, Freaking Freddy Krueger's telling it. Well, let me preface this. Uh, this is Robert England speaking. Let me preface this by saying that my concept of the spirit world or of ghosts has to do with the inherent electrical energy that's in all of us. So that if a woman, an old woman, spent years and years in an attic bedroom very ill and suffering, that that room could hold her energy after she's passed. And people going to visit that room or buying that house would feel that and sense that energy and that pain that she endured in that room. And here's my story, and I learned this at a very young age from my mother, chain-smoking, martini-drinking liberal uh, who, uh, uh, who was very pragmatic and not spiritual. Um, and my mother, as a young girl in college, was in a sorority. And there was a great flood in Southern California in the 1930s. And this is why our rivers have now, are now all sealed with concrete and things like that, because huge portions of Southern California flooded. And my mother was in the foothills, uh, a Glendale, Pasadena, Southern California adjacent, at her sorority house. And the floodwaters had come and they were devastating and my mother was there with some of the other girls and they were up late listening to the radio for reports uh the police had come by and and told them to stay put don't go out and uh and and they did and they drank coffee and ate donuts and smoked cigarettes until very late and my mother being one of the youngest members of the sorority was tasked with doing the dishes and at midnight or so the rest of the girls had fallen asleep and my mother was finishing up cleaning the sorority house kitchen and uh, uh, having herself a last uh, cup of coffee she wasn't really ready to go to bed yet and uh, there was a knock at the door and she went to the sorority house door and opened it up and one of the sorority sisters was there all wet and her hair was wet, and her clothes were wet, and my mother took off her her jacket and sat her down and reheated the coffee, uh, the leftover coffee on the stove, and got her a donut, and and they smoked a cigarette, and she told my mother this story about how she was, you know, caught in the storm, and uh, just barely made it back to the sorority house. And uh, my mother, you know, I uh, was getting tired now and she heard the story my mom went to bed and uh, told her sister to get some rest and take a hot shower 
And uh, my mother woke up the next day, and uh, there were police at the sorority house. And uh, it was, they were expressing concern for the death of one of the sorority sisters. And uh, they asked my mother uh, about this, about the girl that had come uh, at, at 12, 1 in the morning. And my mother said the la that's the last time she saw her. And the police told my mother, oh, that's impossible. Because we found her body at 4 in the afternoon. The I'm day before. And my mother, you know, was devastated by this and didn't know how to deal with it. And my mother found the ashtray and the coffee cup that she had left her visitor. And there was lipstick on the coffee cup and cigarette butts that weren't my mother's. I mean, is anyone else covered in goosebumps? Just saying. Next up, we have another dear friend of mine telling a quick little story. I don't know if y'all grew up with a horror host on your TV like I did, but Sven Gulli was a very big part of my childhood, and I'm very proud to call the man my friend today. You can still watch Sven Gulli, actually. He's on MeTV, which is on both cable stations and antenna stations. So, you know, let's let's hear what Sven has to say. Okay, uh, my family and I were renting a house in, I think it's Fenville, Michigan, right near the lakefront there. And it was like an old farmhouse and kind of cool. And I don't know if it's related or not, but one morning my wife says, look out the window, there's a turtle out there with a painted shell. And I look outside and there's no turtle. Okay. And it's like, okay, that's great. So later on, we're all downstairs, and from upstairs in the place, we hear a sound that sounds like somebody shoved over like a giant dresser or something. Oh. Loud noise. And so we run upstairs, there's nothing. Absolutely nothing. And we thought, okay, well, that was weird. And we went outside and looked. There was nothing that could have been affected by wind or anything. Uh -huh. And we thought, okay, well, that's just strange. And we went back. And my daughter was already looking at these pictures on the wall that were like a, like children in, I want to say, you know, like 17th century garb. And she just said, boy, those are really weird. And then another night, we're downstairs. The same huge loud noise happens go upstairs there's nothing nothing fell over there didn't seem to be anything that you know like you might think wind and duck work or something nothing so ever since then when we're up in michigan if we pass by my daughter goes there's the ghost house so do we think it was a ghost of the turtle <laughs> i think it was the ghost of the turtle's owner perhaps there we go looking for the turtle okay next up um i, I like to call this person, my friend, even though I've never met her, I feel like I know her from what her husband has told me about her and myself stalking her on the internet. This is an amazing story from a, a fellow weirdo like us, Miss Hillary Burton Morgan. Absolutely check her out on all the stuff and all the things. She's a little witchy. She's a little snarky. She is my spirit animal. So tell me about your Ghost Stories event. Yeah, so we started working with Aster, uh, Aster Services for families and children here in New York. And it is a, it's a group that takes care of the most vulnerable kids in the New York area. These are kids who have been abused. They've been traumatized. They're dealing with mental health issues. 
And so Jeffrey and I started a fundraising campaign to renovate the residential center, and we figured what better way to raise money for kids than doing our favorite childhood activity and telling ghost stories. I love Uh, it. I love it. And I love seeing the progress you post online of the, the renovation of the Astor House. It's amazing. It's been fun. You know, it's amazing what a little bit of color can do. And Benjamin Moore Paint donated paint to us. And oh, I, I think the very first year they really didn't know what we were doing. It was like, yeah. what are these? You know, what do these people want? Um, and then when we could show them the before and after pictures of what just paint and decals could do, yeah. uh, they were totally on board, and they've been so generous with us. So, yeah, I mean, you just if you're working with kids, you want to use your imagination, and so we Absolutely. tried to bring some imagination into the space. Cool. And those stories, all the proceeds um, of this event actually goes to that project, correct? Yeah, we've been, you know, anytime you're taking people's money, you want to be really transparent about where everything goes. So literally every dime goes towards the renovation of the building that these kids live in. Um, It was actually John Jacob Astor's family built this building, you know, forever ago, what, in the 30s, 40s, and then this residential center was built in the 50s, and it's, you know, it's cell blocks. It's barren. Oh, yeah. It was run run by, like, the the Catholic Church for a very long time, so there were no frills. There was no, like, research done into how color affects a child's therapy, things like that. Right. So the care these kids get is amazing, but... I mean, you want to talk about ghost stories. This place was freaky looking. And that was initially what attracted Jeffrey and I. We drive past this really austere looking building in town that had these huge gates up front. No one oh, knew I what it was. Just thinking about it. Yeah, it's <laughs> freaky. And there's a, there's, I've been told there's a ghost in the attic. Um, mm. there's, like a, there's like an upstairs room that the nuns used. You'll have to come and maybe we'll do some ghost hunting together. It's um, yeah, so I keep hearing, like, creepy stories. Uh, so we wanted to celebrate creepy stories, but take that element out of the living quarters for these poor kids. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so what what is the event? When is the event? How yes, so this it? year, we've done it around Halloween last two times, and we kind of exhausted those uh, those stories. You know, there's okay. only so many literary things that you can tap into. And so this year, we've decided to do it in February, largely based on the Walking Dead shooting schedule. We had to wait until Jeff was off work. Uh, So we we put it in February this year because winter is such a ripe time for ghost stories. You know what I mean? You think about, like, the Charles Dickens era when there's no TV, there's no radio. People sat around in the winter and just had to stare at each other. And so they would tell ghost stories around the fire, and that's what the Christmas tradition used to be about. They didn't exactly really, right. I mean, that's a really cool. I kind of fell into a rabbit hole of studying old creepy Christmas stories while I was doing research for this event. I, I did that a couple weeks ago for the podcast. So isn't it on the fun? Same page. It is. It's odd. The stories. The are Victorians great. were creepy, man. Yeah, they were. Um, so it's February 9th. It is at uh, UPAC in Kingston, which is a really cool turn-of-the-century opera house in Kingston, New York. Like, Dylan's played there. So many amazing bands have played there. It's 1,500 seats, so it's still really intimate. There's not a bad seat in the house. Um, 
And when I went and I toured it for the first time, the building manager was telling me that they have their own ghost. So, yes, that makes it more fun, right? Apparently, everything's haunted around you. It's New York. I mean, (laughs) it's the oldest place in America. So yeah. <laughs> Anything on the East Coast is super warped. You know, you just gotta yeah. go with it. Yeah. So is there a website where people can get tickets for this? Yes. It is on Ticketmaster. If you put in Ghost Stories Three, you can find it. Um it is also on the Aster Services website. Or if you go to the UPAC website, UPAC stands for Ulster Performing Arts Center. Okay. Um, yeah, if you go to the UPAC website, they will kick you over there. So I understand, um, for those that don't know, you are um, married to Jeffrey Dean Morgan, and I work yes. with Jeff a lot at the Walking Dead shows. You're his and other he, wife. You take care of Pretty much. I, oh, girl, you don't need He's to know. He's a handful of those things. <laughs> He's a handful. Great guy. Love He's him to pieces. But he's a handful. <laughs> yeah. I live with him. I get it, sis. <laughs> but he had told me uh, so many times that you and I have this whole paranormal thing in common, that you're obsessed with Bigfoot, which I yeah. love. Who is he it? Told- <laughs> exactly. So do you have any crazy stories that have happened to you personally or any favorite stories about these locations you're telling me about? Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, when I met Jeffrey, I was still living in Wilmington, North Carolina, where I'd been working on One Tree Hill for six years. And I lived in a haunted house the whole time I lived there. Get I, out. I did. I bought an 1880 Victorian season oh. one. And everyone's like, what are you doing? You're so dumb. This show's never going to go. And I was just like, well, I think we'll be okay. <laughs> so it worked out. It was a good deal. Um, I got it really cheap because all the houses on the street around it were either in disrepair or abandoned. Um, And as I lived there, people would renovate and weird things would happen. The house next door to mine, uh, they were digging in the backyard and they found a bunch of human bones. Get out. I was like, like, that's all right, that's weird. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) That's that's a little sketchy, but let's move on. (laughs) Yeah. I I never really bought into the whole ghost story thing. You know, my dad grew up in Virginia and would tell us stories about seeing ghosts when he was a kid and mm-hmm. we just thought he was being funny like we did. yeah and then when I got older and I did a beach house in Seaside Heights New Jersey I had to stay in this old bed and breakfast because there's no hotels there okay. um, it's all rental houses and so all the VJs for MTV stayed in this bed and breakfast it was beautiful like a gingerbread Victorian house mm. and I checked in really late one night and I found out that one of the other VJs had switched rooms and was being really difficult. And I was okay. like, what the, hell, what the hell is his problem? Why is he being high maintenance, you know? Yeah. Well, we found out it's because he and his girlfriend were laying in bed, and there was a balcony off the room, and he saw some kids banging on the door of his balcony, and he thought that, like, some fans had found them or something. Okay. And Yeah. And so he opened the door. There's nobody there. Oh, lovely. Um, <laughs> I stayed in a different room. And anytime I was watching something kid-friendly on TV, everything was fine. But the uh-huh. second I started watching the news or, you know, something boring and adult, the TV would click off and on and the lights would flicker and the water what? in the bathtub would start running. and The water in the bathtub would yeah. start running? And oh I'd go God. to turn it off and the knob would be off, you know. Um, oh, wow. 
I was like, well, this is weird. Yeah. And so then it was 2 o'clock in the morning. I'd have to, you know, get up at 6 so we could shoot during daylight hours the next day. And and there were these kids running all over my floor. I could hear them banging around mm-hmm. in the hallways. So I called down to the front desk, and I was like, can you please tell whatever family is staying here that they got to get their kids in check? Yeah. They're like, they're like, honey, you're the only person on the floor. <laughs> what? Yeah. So that was that was unsettling. Um, but then all of a sudden, all the stuff my dad told me as a kid, I'm like, oh, maybe he's not a big fat liar. Like, <laughs> this is legit. So then when I moved into a haunted house, I was already kind of sensitive to weirdness because right, right. because I believed in it now. You right. Know? Yeah. Um and so the very first day I moved in, I had my dad and my brother and a couple guys I worked with all moving in boxes and bringing in furniture. And I stepped back to the back of the house to use the bathroom. And when I came out, all of these guys were standing around the bathroom door. And I'm so, what? You know, like, that's creepy. What are you guys doing? Yeah. yeah. They said, who were you talking to back here? Mm-mm. I said, there's nobody here. And they had all heard me talking to a man in the back of the house. Really? I was like, I am covered in goosebumps. Yeah, I was like, no, there's nobody here. What are you guys, you're all being weird. Stop. And then later as we lived there, we found out it wasn't a man that lived in the place. There was a woman who was haunting my house. She'd lived there her entire life. Her name was Hester Donnelly. She was a notorious spinster in town. Oh, big, sounds amazing. Oh, dude, this woman, she was a big woman, and she wore a beret, and she was known for having this very deep, gruff voice. Oh. And so hated men in my house. She would throw pictures off the wall. <laughs> guys were doing, you know, like, she yeah. really didn't like men. looking out for you. But I was great in the house. She loved me, so... <laughs> Well, that's awesome. It was like having a roommate. Yeah, exactly. Who was looking out for you? Maybe yeah. she was only throwing stuff around when it wasn't the right man for you. Sure. Well, when Jeffrey showed up, he was like, this place scares the hell out of me, Hillary. How have you been living here? Um, so I didn't really expose him to my ghost. He, yeah. Uh, he won out over the ghost. That's how I knew he was the one. Yeah. Well, there you go. She really yeah. was looking out for you. Yeah. He, you got a good one. She had to bet them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I really appreciate this and so much luck with the ghost stories event hey, and thanks. keep posting all the stuff about Astor House on your Twitter. I stalk you on the Twitter and, hey, and try and like all that stuff. We appreciate so. it. And anytime yeah. you want to come and go ghost hunting at Astor, I'm game. Amazing. Am I right? Well, there you have it, kids. Our, we'll just call it our best of celebrity stories uh, episode because... I had no idea what else to do. Um, Nick and I will be back in your face very, very soon. But, you know, I can't end this without telling you first and foremost. Please send in your listener stories, guys. I can't say it enough. Oddityfilescrew at gmail.com. It doesn't even have to be something that happened to you. Like Robert England, it's something that happened to his mother. Um, I keep calling for, you know, urban legends, you know, the the not so standard ones. Nick wants to hear all the stuff and all the things. So it can be absolutely about anything. But I'm going to end this with a listener story. And that story goes a little something like this. 
This story comes to us from Nikki Kelly from West Virginia. The subject line is Listener Stories, The Old Tree. She says, I was trying to space out my listener stories because I only have four. I've already sent in two. One was The Hag in the Closet, which you've recently read in the July 9th episode. We'll be dead. It's fine. The other I sent in was an actual audio file last year about the haunted rocking chair. I don't remember hearing that one, so I can send it in again in written format. Please, Nikki, please. Because, you know, I have these grand plans to play audio files, and then, you know what? I freaking lose them. I'm not going to lie. So send your listener stories in by email, please and thank you. So here's Nikki's story. For a while back in the 90s, my sister Kim and her husband Johnny lived in Severn, Maryland. The house they lived in was situated along a busy rural two-lane highway. Johnny worked for a fence company and was typically gone very early in the morning and came home around six or seven in the evening completely exhausted from a long day of hard physical labor. He often took a nap on the couch after work. This evening was no different. It was the middle of summer. It was hot. Johnny had already nodded off on the couch. Kim was about to go to the store. She tried to wake Johnny before she left to see if he wanted anything special from the store while she was out. But he was always incredibly hard to wake. Kim could shake him and yell his name and He wouldn't budge. She knew she wouldn't be able to wake him, but she tried shaking him and calling his name anyway. Of course, he was too deeply exhausted to wake. Out the front door she went, passing by their big bay window before going down the front steps. She hopped in the car, rolled down the windows, and backed the car down the driveway where she waited for a break in traffic. At the end of the driveway, there was a huge old tree. It had been dead for quite a while. Kim and Johnny had requested on several occasions that the landlord cut the tree down. It was at least three stories tall, maybe more, and they could tell it was in danger of falling at any time. If it fell on the house, it could cause serious damage. But if it fell the opposite way across the highway, the consequences could be far worse. However, the landlord insisted that the tree was not actually on his property and therefore it was the Department of Highways problem, not his. As Kim waited at the end of the driveway for a break in traffic to back her car out into the highway, she heard Johnny calling urgently from the house. Kim, come back in the house. Come back in the house, Kim. Kim realized Johnny must have woke back up and wanted to add something to her list. So she drove back up to the house, parked the car, and walked up to the porch. As she was crossing in front of the big bay window, she looked in and saw that Johnny was still asleep on the couch in exactly the same position he had been in when she had left only a minute or two before. She was puzzled. Why was he pulling her leg, pretending to be asleep? She opened the front door, and as she was about to cross the threshold, she heard as much as felt a thunderous crack. She turned toward the noise only to watch in cold horror as the massive dead tree, still cracking and popping, came crashing down across the driveway where she would have still been sitting, waiting for a break in traffic. Somehow, the tree falling managed 
to rouse Johnny from his sleep. He adamantly denied calling her back to the house. She believes him, especially since she had other strange experiences in that house. Footsteps where there shouldn't be, windows open that should have been closed, etc. But she does not believe that whoever or whatever was behind the footsteps was responsible for calling her back to the house that day. Deep in her heart of hearts, she knows it was our grandpa who had passed away in 1985 and who she believes has been watching over her ever since. Signed, Nikki Kelly, Coolbridge, West Virginia. Nikki, oh my God, that's insane. So all the questions, did it sound like Johnny when she said it? I'm sure it did, even if it was grandpa, because grandpa wouldn't want to alarm her. I don't know. I just, the whole guardian angel thing is an obsession of mine right now. What a beautiful story. I'm so glad your sister is safe and wasn't hurt. I hope nobody else was hurt by this tree falling. And you know what? Fuck that landlord. I'm going to say it again. Fuck that landlord. You guys, this has been awesome. This has been real. Like I said, we're back in action next week. This is Oddity Files, the podcast. Check out all our stuff and all our things at flow.page slash oddityfiles. A huge shout out to our Patreon producers, Doug Maldenlock, Ryan Hoke, and Donald Blanchflower. Did you know you too could be a Patreon producer? Head on over to patreon.com slash oddityfiles. There's some good stuff in there. I mean, there's some shit in there, but there's some good stuff in there. I try to update it every week um, for all different levels. So stop by patreon.com slash oddityfiles. I'm Kitsy Duncan. Weird is the new cool. I feel like I should do Nick's voice and say, I'm Nick Floyd, ghost on. Eh, that was lame. What else? Good night, guys. Or, you know, whatever time you're listening. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Head to flow.page slash oddity files for all things oddity files. Links to our merch, links to our sponsors, links to all the things oddity files. We appreciate your continued support. We appreciate you spreading the word. Please don't forget to leave a review on wherever you're listening. Again, all things oddity files at flow.page slash oddity files. Theme music provided by James Grice, edited by me. Take care. We'll see you next time. No, you won't. You'll hear us next time. Bye.